Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. Tonight I'm going to preach to you a message called The Christian's Call. The Christian's Call. So before I get into what I want to talk about, I'm going to summarize very simply here the Christian path. Amen. A lot of people struggle with questions like, what am I supposed to do? What's my calling? What's my purpose? Man, I sure wish that the Lord would just lay it out in front of me. Boom, boom, boom. This is what you do. Well, thank God you came tonight because I'm literally going to lay it out in front of you. Step one, step two, step three, step four. This is exactly what you need to do and how you need to do it. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, Lord, I thank you for the word tonight. I yield to the Holy Ghost. Lord, I believe that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's alive. It's powerful. Lord, that this word is anointed. Even without me, this word is anointed. And I believe that it, it, it has nothing to do with my personality and my charisma and my ability to be creative and, and entertain people. But, Lord, by the preaching of your word, your power will go out into this room tonight that you'll plant seeds in people's hearts, that, Lord, tonight, let it, I pray that tonight there would be eternal fruit. I pray that maybe tonight, Father, that somebody's entire destiny would be changed because they got a revelation and they saw the path that they were to set in front of their feet to walk down, and that, Lord, if they'll heed to this word and store it in their heart, treasure it, store it up, that, Father, it will produce for them in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. So here, here's the Christian path. Amen. This is for everybody. Say everybody. This isn't just for the few. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. doesn't matter if you're young or old. doesn't matter if you're white or black. doesn't matter if you're yellow with polka dots. This is for everybody. Say everybody. Very simple. Number one, what is the Christian path? What must I do with my life? Number one, you need to get saved. Amen. Come on, this is, this is, these first three points, they're going to be simple, but just stay with me here. Number one, what do I need to do? You need to get saved. Say, get saved. You know, and again, it's, that's so important because in this time, in this generation, all we try to do is counsel everything out, right? It's like you even hear pastors nowadays. You have pastors that, that are coming out like, Oh, man, you'll never believe how my life changed once I started therapy, how it just revolutionized my life. And, and we're trying to medicate everything. We're trying to count, counsel out everything. You know, your marriage is struggling. What do I need to do? I'm going to read the 65 steps to have a good marriage written by Oprah and Dr. Phil. And, guys, I'm telling you, that stuff doesn't work. Number one, what do you really need to do? Number one, you need to get saved. Hallelujah. Just simply, Jesus said this in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And I'm going to just tell you a very quick gospel presentation here. The Bible says this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. 
That means you've sinned, I've sinned. In fact, every human being was born into sin, was born with sin nature. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Say death. So because we've all sinned and we were born into a sin nature, because of sin there has to be death. And so death is due to every person. It's due to me. It was due to you. It was due to every person in this room. But it says the free gift of God God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Say Jesus Christ. There's only one way to be saved. It's not through Allah. It's not through Muhammad. It's not through any other God. Say Jesus Christ. Well, you have your way. I have my way. No, there's only one way. His name's Jesus Christ. You have to come through him. If you do not come through him, there is absolutely no other way to God whatsoever. You know, and that's what's being taught to people. That's what Oprah Winfrey teaches people. You listen to her, that there's, there's infinite paths to God and that all the paths just simply lead to the same God. That's a lie from hell and it's a lie that's going to send people to hell. There's only one path, there's only one way, one truth, and one life. That is Jesus Christ. So all who call on the name of the Lord, it says, shall be saved. Amen. Call on his name. You need to get saved. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 through 11, it's so, you know, you may look at your life. I don't know everybody in here. You may say, well, John, I've done some bad things. John, I didn't know that. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up hearing about Jesus. I grew up in a broken home with broken parents that made a broken adult, right? And I've made many mistakes. Will God accept me? Yes, he will accept you. All you have to do, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in his name will never be disgraced. Hallelujah. So you just have simply understand this. I'm a sinner. There is no way for me to be right in and of myself. Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins. He became sin that I could become righteousness. I've done some horrible, rotten, wicked, nasty, evil things, but Jesus paid for all of those things, and that I'm going to believe that by faith, by calling on his name and believing that he paid that price for me, according to the Bible, the Lord will grant me salvation. It's as simple as that. Amen. I pray that if you don't, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you have not ever received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're in this room, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end of the service. So say number one, get saved. You're like, well, that seems pretty basic, John. Duh, right? Okay, the next two are also very basic, but they're things that Christians never do their entire life even after, quote, unquote, getting saved. Number two is this, get free. What's the path? You need to get saved. And while you get saved, simultaneously, you should be getting free, right? So the same moment that you get saved should be the same moment that you get free. That's actually not how it works. Most people get saved. Most Christians or people get saved. They become Christians. And what do they do? They struggle the rest of their life. Say, get free. What do I mean by get free? Repent. Say, repent. Get free. Get free from what? You need to get free from sin. You need to get free from addiction. You need to get free from flesh. You need to get free from pride. You need to get free from unforgiveness. You need to get free from hatred. The the moment that you get saved, you're not supposed to spend the rest of your life fighting this fight and just struggling like most Christians do. You can get free instantaneously and simultaneously with salvation. Come on. But that's not taught. In fact, 
what is actually taught is, you know, how many of you know we're all going to struggle every day? You say that in most churches, you know what you'll hear? The whole congregation, amen. How many, of you, how many of you have been going through a hard time right now? What do you see? Every hand lift up in the congregation. I have. I'm going to tell you, that's not a biblical reality. Now, sometimes people experience that, and I'm not condemning anybody, but that's not a biblical reality. Are you with me? Say, get free. I'm going to make this statement here. Getting free. Again, free from what? Free from sin, addiction, flesh, self, pride, hatred, unforgiveness. Getting completely free where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Say freedom. Getting free is not the climax of the Christian life. It is the beginning. Getting free is not the climax of the Christian life. It is the beginning. What do I mean by that is Christians get saved and they think that they've really, like they struggle, they walk with the Lord for years after years after years and, and maybe 10 years down the road, I'll become holy. Maybe 10 years down the road, I can overcome drug addiction and, you know, their, their testimony is how I got saved, but I still struggled with smoking cigarettes and drinking for the first five years of my Christianity. That does not have to be your story. Hallelujah. Because getting free is not the climax to the Christian life. It's the beginning. Say the beginning. I'll elaborate a little further here. What I mean is pastors spend their entire life's work just simply trying to get Christians, Christians free to show up and to love Jesus. Most pastors, they can't even, you know, and that's like, that's what they think. That's what God's put them to do, that they just spend their whole life pastoring the same 15 people, and why? Because they're every ounce of energy, it's just one phone call after another, trying to get these people, you know, eventually they'll get free, eventually they'll, they'll get committed, and eventually they'll actually love Jesus. That's what most pastors spend their entire life's work trying to do. In fact, most Christians think that if you're free, that you're like a super mature Christian, right? You ever meet somebody that you're like, man, I meet this woman. That's a woman of God. She does. Whenever I'm around her, she's not cracking dirty jokes. She's not cussing. She don't drink. She don't smoke. She loves the Lord with all her heart. In fact, when we're in the church house, she's up there in the front, and she's praising, and she's worshiping the Lord, and you look at people like that, and you think, wow, they're a really mature Christian. That's backwards because that's not the climax, right? I'm trying to get to that point. According to the Bible, that's actually elementary. Come on, somebody. Say the beginning. The beginning. Look at Hebrews 6, 1 through 3. The writer of Hebrews says, let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again and let us become mature in our understanding. Right? So he's writing to these believers. Can we please move past this stuff? We, there should come a point where we don't have to keep going over this stuff. You should get what I'm saying here. He says, what are these, these things that we're going over again and again? Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. Say Elementary. You know, in the New Testament church, it was understood when you gave your life to Jesus, guess what? All addiction, it leaves that day. 
It's not, addiction's not even an option anymore. Are you with me? When you give your life to Jesus, according to the Bible, in Jesus' day, in the early church day, the moment you gave your life to Jesus, hatred was not even an option anymore. Sin was not even an option anymore. You know, the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, running around and having sex outside of marriage, that wasn't even an option anymore. That wasn't even a thought. In fact, the Bible says you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were purified by calling on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Say, I was once like that. And I don't know how that's, you know, we've compromised the message and we've watered it down to try to, this very simple message, you were one day, you were one way, but then you got saved and gave your life to Jesus Christ. There should be a notable marking moment where you say, that is the day that everything changed. And I was this way the day before, but after that day, I was a new creation. Hallelujah. It's just very simple elementary principles of repenting from evil deeds. Y'all, the church has even moved away from elementary principles. We don't even preach repentance anymore. In fact, we're preaching messages to people that Jesus paid for your future sins, and so, in fact, you don't have to repent. In fact, if you repent, it's actually grieving to the Lord because you're bringing up something that he's forgotten. I'm going to tell you that's actually that's a perversion of the grace message. The grace message is if we sin and we repent, bring your sick to the elders of the church. Let them lay their hands on the sick, anoint them with oil, and they shall be raised up. And if you've committed any sins, confess them and you shall be forgiven. Right? So there is grace that if a Christian sins, there is forgiveness, but there has to be repentance for there to be forgiveness. Hallelujah. Come on. Say, get free. The elementary principles of placing your, uh, repenting from evil deeds, placing your faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. We could preach a whole message about every one of those things, but I'm not going to tonight. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. Look at Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, we're going to read 5 through 14. Since we've been united with Christ in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful natures were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. And it goes on to say, we are no longer slaves to sin. That's the power of the gospel. Your old self. Your old nature that was sinful by nature, it's been crucified with Christ. Now sin has lost its power. And I've told you, Christians, you're not struggling with sin. I don't ever want to hear somebody that says, I've called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet I struggle with pornography. What do you mean? According to the Bible, sin lost its power in your life. Sin has no power to even fight against you. In fact, the reality is most Christians, or every Christian that sins, is not because they want to... I'm sorry, it's not because they have to sin, it's because we want to sin. Are you with me? It's just true. Well, uh, you know, I'm struggling with pornography. No, you're not struggling because you actually carry resurrection power that could put to death, put to death that deed. But yet you're like, why am I engaging in it? Because you failed to repent. 
You failed to make the change where I was once that way, but I've changed. And by faith, I received that resurrection power, and now I'm no longer that way anymore. Amen. Say it. Say, I'm not an addict. Say, I'm not struggling with sin. I'm free. So it goes on to say, we're no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we, will know, we know we will also live with him. When, we, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives to the glory of God. Look at this. So you should also consider yourself dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Here's my point here. I'll tie it with this scripture here, Galatians 2.20. It says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So I'll live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's a fundamental elementary thing. In the early church, they got saved, and they understood what it meant to got saved because they simultaneously got water baptized when they got saved. Why did they get water baptized? Look at this next verse here. Actually, I'm sorry. Look at, um, it's in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. It says, for we, were, we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the power by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. So this message was preached to them that you're going to get water baptized. When you go down, guess what? That old person's dead. Hallelujah. That old person's dead. That old person's God. You're not going to continue living in sin. You're not going to continue with those things that you, you put it to death right now. You sign the death certificate. You put the nail in the coffin. It is absolutely done. And whenever I come out of that water baptism, out of that water, I am decreeing and declaring that my life is going to be poured out before the Lord like a drink offering, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that God will find pleasing and acceptable where it's literally no longer I who live it's Jesus Christ who lives on the inside of me guys this is an elementary principle of Christianity but most Christians spend their whole time just trying to get free from sin and just trying to muster up enough faith to show up to anything when an elementary principle of Christianity is it's no longer I who live I'm dead it's Jesus Christ who lives through me what would Jesus do Hallelujah. And I'm getting to a point here. Galatians, I'm sorry, uh, Colossians 2, 11 through 12. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised. But not by physical procedure, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Hallelujah. Say this, say, my sinful nature was cut away. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, so that's the thing. Any Christian that's received salvation, that's received this, this power from God, you know, and you still talk to them, and they're like, yeah, I got saved, but then they're sitting around, they're just dirty jokes. I mean, just it, it, the reality is 
they have not killed that old nature. They've not put it to death. Why have they not put it to death? They've never surrendered it. They've never laid their life down. They've never made that declaration, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Think about that statement. Are y'all with me tonight? What does it mean to live for Jesus Christ? He died so that I could live. The same way that he was raised to new life, now by the glorious power of the Spirit, I live a brand new life. You know what I think about when I think about living for Jesus Christ? I think about spending my days telling every person I can about Jesus. I literally think about waking up and saying, Lord, today's not about me. Today's not about the errands that I just got to run and the little job that I just have to work. Literally today, it's you who lives through me. You want to touch people. There's a harvest that has to be reached, and I have to die to my own agenda and die so that it's no longer I live. It's Christ that lives on the inside of me. For me as a pastor in Angelina County, what it means for Christ to live through me is to die to anything and everything so that we can reach this county with the gospel. For me, what it means for Christ to live through me, it's to give whatever it costs. We're going to go to every apartment. We just, you know, I put my faith out recently for the sound equipment. And I told you the Lord told me to get this sound equipment. We're going to start hitting apartments, preaching the gospel, feeding people, you know, this whole outreach ministry. Well, the equipment supernaturally came in. We have everything that we need to do it. You know, that's what it means to me is, Lord, I, it, what if it costs a Saturday to do that? It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. I don't want to give up a Saturday to go knock on doors and preach the gospel. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ that lives on the inside of me. I don't feel like getting up out of this bed and putting down my bowl of lucky charms, but it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives on the inside of me. And live in such a way that your life is poured out as an offering before the Lord. Hallelujah, Lord, I die to myself, I die to my agenda, I die to my pride, I die to my insecurity, I die to my fear, hallelujah, and, and I'm going to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Christians, here's the Christian path, you need to get saved, you need to get free, say free. free. Christians aren't free. Number three, you need to get committed. Simultaneously, these three things need to happen at salvation. You get saved, and the same time you got saved, that's when you got free. And you need to understand that from the Scripture. The Bible says he canceled the charges against us, took them away by nailing them to the cross. In this way, he disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities. Say disarmed. Bible says you're seated in Christ in heavenly places far above any spiritual ruler, principality, or power in this world and in the unseen world. The Bible says in 1 John that those that are young in the faith have already won their battle against the evil one. Say, I have victory. You're not trying to get victory. You have victory over the devil. Luke 10, 19, I have authority over all the power of the devil. I don't have to sin. Guess what, Christians? We don't have to stay sick. We don't have to stay in poverty. We don't have to stay in any place that would qualify or position us under that hand of the enemy. 
Now you got to believe it. Hallelujah. Say get free. Free to live for Jesus Christ. You need to get free from pride. I know y'all may seem like John, or like, why do we get done with worship today? And you don't just, let's just do the systematic little thing, the routine religious thing. Because I felt like we were having people in this room, Christians, that I know some of you, you weren't giving your all to Jesus. You weren't lifting up your voice. We're going through the motions. Why aren't we giving our all to Jesus? Why are we afraid to? There's some Christians full of the Holy Ghost. There's some Christians that believe the Bible about speaking in tongues, but they won't do it because they're too afraid of what the person next to them is going to think about it. They won't speak it out of their mouth because what if someone hears me and what if someone hears me, then they think that it's foolish. And if they think that it's foolish, I just have too much pride to, to let somebody think that I'm foolish. Come on, somebody. Why is it that when you give a salvation altar call, most of the time people stand there like this? It, 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 you know, you say, come up it, it, or raise your hand, and they'll sit and they'll look around. And you know that they want to raise their hand, but they won't raise their hand until two or three hands go up, and then they'll finally, okay, oh, somebody else did it. You've got to get desperate. You've got to die. You've got to get free from pride, free from self. Hallelujah. The Lord totally humbled himself and allowed himself to be shamed publicly. You know, when they nailed Jesus to the cross, they stripped him down naked. You don't understand this. He wasn't wearing a jumpsuit. He was stripped down naked, hanging, publicly disgraced, nailed, couldn't cover himself for everybody to walk by and just be shamed and disgraced. He was willing to do that so that we could live for him, I might add to you, in a free country where we're not even persecuted for preaching the gospel. And we're, having, we're trying to muster up enough commitment to really serve the Lord. Y'all, I'm telling you, it's pathetic. It's pathetic Christianity. We've got to get saved. We've got to get free. And number three, simultaneously, we've got to get committed. Say committed. You know, and this is where most Christians totally fail. Number one, they get saved. They pray the prayer, but they don't get free. So they don't get free. Sin ends up dominating their life, and they backslide. And then number two, they get saved, but they don't do this. They don't get committed. Say committed. You need to be committed. I'm going to give you three things here. Number one, be committed to fellowship with the Lord. Say fellowship. You need to be committed to fellowship with the Lord. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that we are no longer slaves his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are sons, that we are children of the Most High God. The Bible says we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can come boldly into his presence. Hallelujah. By the spirit of the Lord, there's nothing that's hindering us from him. We can come. We can have fellowship with God. Say fellowship. It's so important that you fellowship with the Lord. You know, and I want to say this too. You cannot just know about him. You must know him. I'm so convinced. I'll tell you something, that sitting in Dr. Rodney Howard Brown's meeting Monday night, I walked away with one certain thing in my spirit. This man knows Jesus. He knows him. 
He doesn't know the Bible, just know the Bible. He doesn't just know theology. He knows Jesus Christ. You can hear it in his voice. You can see it in his eyes. I'm like, Lord, I've experienced certain things that I've never told anybody, supernatural, spiritual things. And yet when he talks, uh, he, he's talking about some of the things hidden in my heart, some of the things that I've, uh, that I've seen in the spirit. So, Lord, I know this man, he knows who you are. He knows you. And there's a lot of preachers. There's a lot of Christians. They know about him, but they don't know him. Hallelujah. They know the Bible. They know theology. They can get up here and teach you about the fundamentals of the scripture, which is great. You need to know the Bible, but you need to know him. You need to know him. This morning, I was sitting there fellowshipping with the Lord, lifting my hands to the Lord. I told you I put that song on. And the anointing of the Lord, it just, he just the Holy Ghost just began to move right then, right there. And I felt his presence, and I said, Lord, I just I want to know you. I don't just want to know about you. I want to know you, Jesus. God should be speaking to you. There's a problem if you're a Christian and God doesn't speak to you by his spirit. I'm not saying that everyone's going to hear audible voices, though. You could see angels. You could hear voices that happen in the New Testament, but God should be speaking to you. You should know your Father's voice. There's a major problem where most Christians, that's foreign to them. I've never heard the voice of God. I've never clearly heard the voice of the Holy Ghost. Then I'm going to consider this, that you know about God, but you're not in a relationship with him. And it's not hard to be in a relationship with him. He said, ask and you will find. Knock, the door will be open to you. Draw near to the Lord. What does it say? He'll draw near to you. Any person that's humble, any person that will come to the Lord and lay down themselves, lift their holy hands high unto the Lord and say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know your voice. Jesus, I don't want to know what religion says you are. I want to know the true resurrected living Jesus Christ. The one who lives, I want you to talk to me. I want, us to, I want to have memories in my life of conversations that we've had, of moments where you've touched me and shown me things. Lord, I want to know you. You have to know him. You have to be committed to fellowship with him. You know, and here's the thing, too. We can't just work for him. We must work with him. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, many on that day will call me Lord, Lord. Didn't we cast out devil spirits? Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, you who break God's laws, for I never, what? Knew you. So apparently there's going to be a group of people that work for him, but they don't work with him. There's going to be a group of people that tell the world about a God that they don't know personally. Are y'all with me? So you have to be committed to fellowship with the Lord. Are you all still with me here? Number two, what do you need to be committed to? You must be committed to the word. Say committed to the word. Psalms 1, 1 and 2, Oh, the joys of those that don't follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditate on, meditating on it, how often? Day and night. Every day, twice a day. If you're a Christian, you've got to be committed to the Word of God. 
tie this with it, Joshua 1, 7 through 8. The Lord told Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left. What did he say? Then you will be successful in everything that you do. Verse 8, study this book of instruction. How often? Continually. Say continually. And meditate on it. How often? Day and night so that you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. Guys, I'm telling you that that's the problem with most Christians. Why don't they get free? Why don't they accomplish God's purpose for their life? Why are they stagnant and stale and just always on a roller coaster of mountain high to valley low? Because I'm telling you, they've never surrendered and situated their life underneath this word. They've never made the commitment to this word. Lord, I commit to this word. Whether it's convenient, whether it's inconvenient, whether I got a lot going on or absolutely nothing going on, I will root my life in this word and put it before my eyes and store your commands up in my heart and get it in my spirit, and I won't depart from it. I'll meditate on it every day. Lord, I'll meditate on it twice a day. Hallelujah. That's what most Christians don't do. I can tell you why most Christians get saved on Sunday, but they're living for hell back by Friday because they didn't leave the service and actually humble themselves before the Lord and say, Father, from this day forward, I'm committing myself to fellowship with you. From this day forward, I'm committing myself to your word. Come on, somebody. Because Monday rolls around and all they got is a cool story, bro, for what happened to them on Sunday. Monday rolls around, 9 o'clock, Facebook, Instagram, Netflix, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, the evening rolls around. And guys, stop making excuses. I'm so sick and tired of Christians always saying, well, and I'll get to this point next, I can't go to church. Someone got a cold. What do you think the devil's going to catch on to stuff like that? All I have to do to keep this person coming into the presence of the Lord is just do these little three things. Guess what? You start using that excuse, oh, you know, my kid, uh, my kid stubbed their toe so I can't go to church. Watch. They'll start stubbing their toe every week. Watch. Whatever excuse that you make, it'll just start happening because it's not always going to be convenient. Amen. But the thing about a commitment is that you have to be faithful. You have to be loyal. You honor a commitment over convenience. Are you all with me? Hopefully this generation grabs a hold of that, something that's totally lost, loyalty and faithfulness. You have to be faithful to a commitment over convenience. You know, it's like, why did I go to that meeting Monday night? Why am I going back tomorrow night? Not only because I'm hungry for the fire of God, I've made a commitment to a ministry. Is it convenient? Who cares if it's convenient? Brother James drove home. At what time did you get home? And what time did you get up for work? So you slept for an hour and got up for work? You know, is that convenient? No, but that's commitment. Hallelujah. Y'all with me tonight? Say Commitment. You've got to be committed to fellowship with the Lord. You have to be committed to the word. Christians never do that so they don't succeed in their Christian walk. Number three, you're like, John, you were talking about this path, right? I thought you were going to get up here and just start prophesying. You're 
you're going to India. You're going to Europe. You're going to shake nations. You know, that, that's not how the Bible works. The Bible says that you must be faithful with the little before God will give you anything more. You are ever going to receive a, a, a word from the Lord. In fact, let me tell you this. If you're a lukewarm, lazy Christian that disregards the word of God, you need to reject any little major prophecy that's given over your life because God doesn't work backwards. Hallelujah. If you're faithful, you need to be faithful with the written word, and then once you're faithful, God will begin to expand on that written word. Once you can commit and show yourself faithful, study to show yourself approved, then the Lord will start adding things to you. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You know, I wasn't even sure of my role as a pastor until about a year and a half ago, like absolutely sure that God's called me and anointed me to be a pastor. I knew I was called to the ministry, but I thought, well, maybe I'm supposed to be a traveling teacher. Maybe I'm supposed to be an evangelist. It wasn't until about a year and a half ago that I got a real strong revelation. No, the Lord has called you to plant roots, to pastor a church recently. The Lord told me, he said, I want you to give me Angelina County. Now I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission that when I stand before the Lord that I'm going to, we're together, we're going to lay Angelina County at his feet. And he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We're going to build up the strongest faith, Bible, preaching, teaching, Holy Ghost Church in Angelina County. Thanks for the four people that are saying amen. That's, that's exciting to me. But my whole point was that, I, you know, I had to be in the Word for years before the Lord gave me that. You got to get out of this microwave. I've been serving the Lord for five whole minutes, and he hasn't opened the door for me to, to pastor a church and reach the nations yet. Are you kidding me? Most of the time, it's because, you know, the thing that you desire, the Lord knows you're not even ready for it. And if, you were, if he were to give it to you, you would kill yourself because you're not ready to handle it. I believe God's going to take me to the $100 million level, hallelujah. But you don't even pay tithes or what? It's like, what do you think is going to happen? That $100 million is probably going to send you to hell because of the love of money. Does God have great plans and purposes for your life? Absolutely, 100%. But the Bible talks about being an instrument of special honor. It says in a home, there's utensils for different uses. There's common ones, and then there's special ones for special occasions. If you keep yourself pure, the Bible says, you will be a utensil set apart for special usage. Then you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. What's most Christians' problem? They're not ready. Why are they not ready? Because they're not consecrated. Why are they not ready? Because they're not committed. They haven't committed to fellowship with the Lord. They haven't committed to the word. You need to have time set apart for you and the Lord every day. Every day. Say every day. I know it's a foreign thought. And it, you know, 50 years ago, they're like, John, we understand. We've learned this stuff in, in Bible school. But it's crazy to me that we've been able to build churches and get away from these fundamental doctrines. You need to go get with your father and listen, tune your ear to heaven, pray, say pray, pray. every day. Well, Brother John, I pray every day. Really, I don't believe you. Not all of you, but I'm just saying, let's say not you, okay? I'm talking about them outside the door, right? 
talking about the hypothetical person that's standing 15 feet outside the door. I don't believe that you pray every day. Why don't you believe I pray every day? Because you don't show up when we're praying together. So how do you, what, what, what indication would I have that you're a praying man or a praying woman? Hallelujah. Okay, you need to commit yourself to the gathering of the saints. Say commit. You need to be committed to fellowship with the Lord. You need to be committed to the word. Number three, you need to be committed to the gathering of the saints. In Acts 2.42, it says all the believers, all, say all. Man, this is what it needs to be so preached so strong. You're like, Brother John, I don't know if I like Brother John's church because he, when I show up, he makes me feel like I have to pray. I got to show up to stuff. I got to read my Bible. And if I don't, then he just don't have his seal of approval. That's what preaching with conviction is. Hallelujah. That people should feel convicted. People should feel a separation where our innermost thoughts and desires are being exposed before the Lord when the word of God is truly preached. It's not all cotton candy and buttercorn. There's sometimes that we've got to humble ourselves and say, Lord, is there something in me? Search my heart, O oh Lord. Anything that's displeasing to you, refine me in the refiner's fire. Let the slag and the impurities float to the surface so that they can be dealt with. Not so that I can be condemned. Not so that I can be told that I'm horrible, nasty, and wicked, I'm going to hell. No, so that I can be refined and be like gold and silver that's been purified. A mighty weapon in the Lord's hand. Man, that's good. You know, it says all the believers say all you know, I find this so crazy that in the book of Acts, there was at least 3,120 believers at this point. 120 in the, the upper room. Peter preached 3,000 men got saved that day. There was minimal 3,120 believers. And every single one, without exception, devoted themselves to these things. To the apostles' teaching. To fellowship. To sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. And to prayer. And if you continue to read, it says they gathered together. Say together. That's why I don't believe this, like, nonsense Christianity. Well, you know, what do you think the devil tried to do, 2020 through 2022? Well, I, I get my church at home. There is no Christianity in the New Testament where you and Jesus just got your own little personal thing going on. It's not in the Bible. Hallelujah. Well, I really feel like it. I don't care how you feel. There was a term that birthed one of the greatest revivals in human history, the Protestant Reformation. The term was this, sola scriptura, which means the scripture alone. Hallelujah. We stand and believe the scripture alone. If the scripture doesn't say it, we throw it out and have nothing to do with it. If the scripture don't say it, I don't care how you feel. Humble yourself. Hallelujah. Conform. My, Lord, my ways may not be like your ways. My thoughts may not be like your thoughts. Let me get your mind. Let me get the mind of Christ. Let me stop trying to reimaginate and reinvent and let me just be real. I don't want to go to church because I'm a lazy Christian. Hallelujah. And if you can just admit it, guess what? The Lord can work with that. Say commitment outweighs convenience. They all devoted themselves to these things and to prayer. You know, and I'm going to tell you something, too. I got to get moving here. 
But I didn't believe it. My mom will tell you, she used to tell me, she's from New Mexico where I'm from, and she used to tell me back in, you know, 2018, 2019, she's like, I don't really go to church because I don't think that there's, there's no church here that, that's preaching the word, that, that, you know, that's, that's practicing the Bible. It just seems compromised. And I used to tell her, you're full of baloney. I was like, that's an excuse. You need to go to church, all this stuff. But I'll be honest with you. What I saw in 2020, in 2021, is that there's truth to that. Maybe you're watching online and you're, you know, I've had people that tune into our ministry and say, genuinely, John, there's not one church in my town that stayed open. Here's the thing. Move. Hallelujah. Move. M-O-V-E. Well, my job's here. Believe God for another job. Well, my house is here. Well, you know, there's this crazy thing that you can do called selling your house and you can move. Amen. I heard a one preacher say that it ain't like it's 1840 and you got to go spend six months on the back of a wagon. It's not that hard to move. And especially if you use your faith, nothing is impossible for the one that will believe. And I can tell you right now that, that your, it's, your life is worth moving for. Your children's lives are worth moving for. I would move and get you know, if it was me, I would rather move here. I'd move to Pittsburgh. I'd move to Tampa, Florida. I would move. And I would go get my family plugged into what the Lord's doing. Above, above all, seek first the kingdom of heaven. I don't know. The Bible's so simple that a child could understand it. We're the ones that make it complicated. Above all. What does all mean? Everything. See, put the kingdom in front of everything. Well, I know that it says that, but you don't understand my job. Above even your job. Really? Yes. It literally means what it says. Well, Brother John, you know, you don't understand. I have, th- I have roots here. This is my childhood home. Above all, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Are you all with me? Yes. So you need to be committed to the gathering of the saints. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. You will not find any other blueprint of Christianity, New Testament Christianity in the Bible whatsoever, anywhere. This is God's blueprint of how he wants it done. Amen. But Bible says in Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. So listen. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. Another translation says, as some people do, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Say so much more. Obviously, the day is the day of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is that? What is he saying in context? As the day gets closer, you need to be committed to meeting together more. Hallelujah. Why do you think God's putting it on my spirit that we're just like going? It's like every other month we're having meetings, extended meetings. We started out 2022, literally January and February, we had nonstop revival meetings for two months, every week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, we'd break Thursday, a Sabbath, Friday night we had youth, Saturday was soul winning, start over again, Monday morning, I'm sorry, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, what are you doing? We're pushing for revival because this nation needs a move of God. 
It's the only solution. The local church is God's solution to America. Are you with me? Families need to get saved. Once they get saved, they need to get in the house of God. They need to get free. They need to get committed to fellowship with the Lord. They need to get committed to the word of God. They need to get committed to the gathering of believers. And you'll see households change. You'll see children that don't have to grow up the way that their, their, their parents grew up. You'll see parents that you don't have to struggle like your parents struggled. Hallelujah. Because the word of God produces results. So here's the Christian path. Get saved. Get free. Get committed. Number four. And I'm going to finish the rest of my time tonight talking about this point here. Number four. Preach the gospel to all creation. Say it with me. Say, preach the gospel to all creation. Again, preach the gospel to all creation. One more time. Preach the gospel to all creation. It is God's call to every Christian, every human being on the planet to get saved, to get free, to get committed, and to preach the gospel to all creation. In fact, I'll tell you that this is what that term repentance means. That it's no longer I that live, it's Christ that lives in me. What does that mean? I've laid down my life. I've repented of sin. I've gotten free of that old nature. And now I'm committed to the Lord. I'm committed to his word. I'm committed to fellowship. And I'm committed to the single purpose of preaching the gospel to all creation. Say every believer. Hallelujah. I'm going to give you some points about this tonight. And then teach about them as I go. Write this down or you can just hear me say it, but your occupation is not your call. It's how you make money, but your calling as a Christian is to preach the gospel. Your occupation is not your call. It's how you make money. Your calling as a Christian is to preach the gospel. Your occupation is not your call. You know, I'm, I'm going to have you say some things tonight. Say this. Say, my occupation is not my calling. It's how I make money. Say, my calling as a Christian is to preach the gospel. Hallelujah. Let that sink in. Turn your Bible here to Matthew 9. I was listening to a service recently, and I've mentioned this Sunday, but the largest crusade holder on the planet right now, the man that's having the largest crusades on planet Earth is a man whose name is Dag Haywood Mills. He's an African preacher. Largest crusade. Millions. I'm not, like, millions are showing up to one place at one time. That you see pictures of these crusades, it's, as, it's, it's like a mile of a sea of people in Africa. And he's not only preaching in Africa, he's preaching in India, he's preaching all over the world. He was preaching at Evangelist Jonathan's church in Pittsburgh, and I tuned in. You know, because I don't know about you, but I've determined I'm not going to be a loser Christian. I don't want to listen to the little soybean 
sucking latte, skinny jean with rips in their jeans and talking about how we eat success for church building. And it's like, okay, you may have 300 people. You may have 1,000 people. You may have 2,000 people. That pales, that, that, that's, a, that's weak compared to some of these churches. Like in Africa, the largest churches on planet Earth, where Bishop Ataboya literally has 1.1 million people coming to a physical church every single week. He's built a, a building that's 1.3 miles long by 1.3 miles wide, and he has like seven services where on one Sunday he'll have 1.1 million people in person in a church. David Young Hee Cho built the largest church it was for a long time in South Korea, and literally his his congregation membership grew over a million people where he literally, he only had a 50,000 seater and it was packed out seven times, seven services, 50,000 seater every single week. He had to literally tell his congregation, don't come back next week, skip one week so that those that were not able to come will be able to come next week. That's what he had to do to literally facilitate the harvest in his country. So don't tell me that we've achieved church growth and all this stuff when we're sipping around and we got a few hundred people in our churches and we think that we're really something. Hallelujah. Y'all, I don't know about you, but I'm pushing for that in America. If God can do it in Africa, he can do it in America. Hallelujah. If God can do mass crusades in Africa, in India, all across the world, then he can do it in the United States of America. But we've got to break out of this little wimpy, weak, watered-down mold that's being fed to people, and we've got to grab a hold of the real true anointing and the resurrection power that comes from Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And it's part of this revelation that I'm telling you here. Christians are called to preach the gospel and win souls above everything else in life. Are you with me? So, again, I said this, your occupation is not your call. Your occupation is how you make money. Paul built tents. That's how he made money. But that wasn't, he was not called to be a tent builder. He was called an apostle of the Lord. Come on, somebody. Your calling is, as a Christian is to preach the gospel. And, and Dag Haywood Mills, anyways, I was talking about him, and I got on that little ramp uh, and rabbit hole. But he was saying that, especially in America, we believe this lie. How many of you heard something like this? God's called me to be a lawyer. God's called me to be a doctor. God called me to be a teacher. God called me to, be a, uh, to work in the construction. God called me to be an electrician. And it's not that God didn't open those doors, but here's the reality. That's actually not a biblical calling. Nowhere in the Bible where you see where Jesus raised somebody up to be a lawyer, ever. Not one place. Nowhere will you see God raise somebody up to be a construction worker or an electrician. Does that mean that you just drop everything and don't do those things? No, that's the avenue God's opened up and a door that he's opened up for you to make money and a sphere of influence that he's put you in. But your call is a Christian. Your biblical call is to preach the gospel to everyone. Are you with me? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Say this. Say, my job is my mission field.
This simple revelation is what's causing churches to grow to the million-level membership in other countries. Because they're not sitting over there trying to teach six years in. You've been coming to this church for six years. Now it's about time you get free from pornography. They're preaching the gospel. You come into this thing, you die. You, you lay down your life. Literally, you must forsake father, mother, brother, sister, friend, family member, even your own life to be my disciple, Jesus said. You must lay down your life totally and completely to follow me. They understand that message. Now they'll turn them loose and say, now this is your your one job every single day. You go preach. You go tell people about Jesus. You go gather the harvest and bring them into the Lord's storehouse. Bring them into the house of God. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Why do you think we preach so hard on prayer, showing up to prayer meetings, showing up to stuff like that? If you can't show up to a prayer meeting, you're not going to win souls. I'm just telling you. Just grab that nugget of wisdom. Your mouth will stay silent. It's not hard to show up to things when you love him. Come on, somebody. So again, God called me to be a lawyer. That's not in the Bible. God called you to preach the gospel. You with me? So write this point down. Jesus raised up harvesters. He didn't raise up people and occupations. Jesus raised up harvesters. He did not raise up people in occupations. Matthew 9. Y'all there? 35. Brother John, you're making it sound like tonight that if I call myself a Christian, I have to win souls. Exactly what I'm telling you. I'm glad you caught on to it. Praise God. Brother John, you're making it feel like tonight that if I'm not telling people about Jesus, that I'm not fulfilling my my bare necessity duty to the Lord. That's exactly what I'm telling you according to the scripture. And I'll prove it to you even more. But I'm not trying to preach to you guilt. I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I pray that you catch a hold of this and it lets a fire and a hunger in you to do these things. Because if you're guilt-driven, you're not going to last long. Right? Well, I don't want to show up to prayer, but I guess I will because I feel guilty for not. You'll last like two weeks. And then you'll get burnt out and mad. No, you need to catch the fire from the overflow, the abundance of the heart. You love the Lord. And and I'm telling you, if you're like, well, that's just not me, you need to have some real conversations with God. Why isn't that you? Why don't you love his presence? Why don't you love his word? What has not been surrendered and laid down at his feet? Hallelujah. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news of the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease, say every kind, and illness. When he saw crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more teachers into education system. Is that what he said? Ask him to send more doctors into the medical industry. Is that what he said? Ask him to send more lawyers into Washington and into corporate law. No, ask him to send more workers into his field. Hallelujah. 
But if you got to realize, does that mean I can't be a lawyer? No, you can be, but you're not going in just as a lawyer. You're going in as a harvester of the Lord. And the forefront thing at the front of your mind is souls. Say souls. Say souls. Say the gospel. Hallelujah. So Jesus said, pray that the Lord would send more workers because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Guys, can I tell you something? In Angelina County, the harvest is plentiful. Come on. John, don't preach for people to get excited because it's just not going to happen. Hallelujah. All right, moving on. Stop expecting that. You should know it's not going to happen. The harvest is great. The workers are few. I'm going to get to this point in a moment. But why are we fighting over the same 10% of people? You know, you, you have mega churches built right now. Like one of the largest churches, I was talking to an evangelist a few days ago from DFW. The largest quote-unquote revival church, they're called the revival church there. I asked him, are they, are they doing outreach? He's like, no. They don't even send soul winners out. They don't go knocking on doors. They don't do anything like that. What do they do? They build cute, pretty, clean, precise little Christian services, and they track the same little uber spiritual people that are already saved, that are already just listening, and, you know, that are already blowing the chauffeurs, and that's the only type of people that they're attracting. They're not attracting the lost and the unsaved people. They're just building a business on that small demographic of people that are already in that vein. Come on. Are you with me? And it's like, what, why are we doing that as a church? We're fighting over the 15 or 20% of people that go to church. What about the 80% that don't go to church? What about the 80% that are lost and unsaved? I'm telling you, that's who we go after because the harvest is plentiful, Jesus said. You know, I have a vision. My short-term vision is to build a church of 1,000 people in Angelina County. A strong word-teaching church of a 1,000 people. You say, that seems like a lot. Really? There's 40,000 in Lufkin. That's 1 40th of the population. What, but, that, but I'm telling you, I'll get to this point too. I'm getting ahead of myself. That ain't going to be done by Pastor John just being so clever with his illustrations. You know, we can clean all this up and make it pure and, and, and pristine, and that's great. I'm not saying anything against excellence, but that's only ever going to attract the people that are already going somewhere. Hallelujah. The only way that you go get the harvest, say the harvest, is you got to go in the harvest field to get the harvest. You ever heard of a farmer that just stands on their back porch and throws their little bucket out and, and wheat just starts plucking itself out of the ground and piling itself up in, in the bin? No, that doesn't happen. If you want the harvest, guess where you got to go? Into the field. Hallelujah. So what are we doing? We're raising up Christians that go into the field with the single purpose, say single purpose, of preaching the gospel. Hallelujah. Well, I'm trying to get promoted. Well, why don't you start preaching the gospel and watch God promote you? Hallelujah. So his response was this. Jesus then called the 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out devil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. 
hear the name of the 12. I'm going to skip down to verse 5. He lists the 12. Jesus sent the 12 apostles out with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Look what he said. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Say received. Well, why is it important? Why do I need to go to that church? You can't give what you don't got. Amen. Why am I saying you need to get saved? You need to get free. Because God's climax for your life is not running around trying to just struggling all the time, trying to get free. He wants you free right now, and he wants you free today so that you can go around doing good and healing others that are oppressed by the devil. You can't give freedom away if you're not free. You can't touch people and see the power of God move if you've never put yourself in a position to receive the power of God. Freely you've received, now freely you give. How many's received salvation? Come on, raise your hand. If you receive salvation from the Lord, then a biblical mandate is you must go around and give away what you freely received. Are you with me? Say harvesters. That's the, this is the role of a Christian. Get it and give it away. Hallelujah. In fact, I'll make this observation here. No matter what a person's occupation was, they were to abandon their occupation for the single purpose of the gospel. No matter what a person's occupation was, I'm talking about in the ministry of Jesus, some of his disciples were fishermen. What did he tell them? Leave your boats and leave your nets. Levi was what? A tax collector. Luke was what? Who knows what Luke was? Doctor. Dr. Luke. Luke was a doctor. Peter was a fisherman. Levi was a tax collector. And it didn't matter what their occupation was. What was his same common thing? Go and preach the gospel. Go heal the sick. Go raise the dead. Because God doesn't raise up people in occupations, he raises up harvesters and sends them into the field. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This is Luke 9, 57 through 60. As they were walking along, Someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another person, come, follow me. The man agreed. But he said to him, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Look at this. Highlight this in your Bible. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Your duty as a Christian is to go and preach the kingdom of God. Say, my duty. You need to think about this. It was actually, culturally, his father had died. His father had to be buried. If his father wouldn't have been buried, he would have been, it would have broken some like laws that they had against dead bodies and defilement. So what is Jesus saying? He's not saying, well, I'm not saying your father doesn't need to be buried, but I am saying that you've encountered, you've encountered grace, you've encountered truth. So if it needs to be done, let somebody else do that. But now that you've encountered this grace and now that you've freely received, your duty is to go and preach the gospel. Hallelujah. And every Christian must surrender their life to that cause right there. 
Yes, I may go to work to make money. Yes, I may build tents. Yes, I may go, I may own a business. I may be called. Can God use that? Yes, he can use it. Hallelujah. But it's not your calling. Your duty is to go and preach. Say preach about the kingdom. Preach the gospel. In fact, write this down. Let's keep moving here. You know, I want to, sometimes when I start going, it's like I, I need to stop, but, but Guys, I'm going to tell you, Jesus said, I don't live off of every, I don't live off of bread alone. I live off of every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Daily bread, fresh manna. This is something the Lord dropped in my spirit today. If I wait to give you all of this and say, well, you know, some of you guys might have something to do. I'll stop and we'll pick up next week. It may not be fresh manna next week. Hallelujah. And I get up here, I'm not going to give you stale bread. Are you with me? Give me a few more minutes. These next points, they'll go by. Luke 9, 57 through 60. I just read that. Okay, write this point down. The only Christian that Jesus envisioned was one who preached and demonstrated the gospel. The only type of Christian that Jesus ever envisioned was one that preached and demonstrated the gospel. When Jesus looked forward and thought about the church being birthed and thought about those that were not a part of his sheepfold, he said, but he's going to bring them in, he never thought about a person or a Christian that did not preach and demonstrate the gospel. That wasn't even in his mind. That wasn't even his thought process. In fact, you could make the case pretty strongly that Jesus would have said it's impossible for somebody to be called a Christian, a little Christ, that doesn't go around preaching and demonstrating the gospel. In fact, you could even go further and say a Christian, a, a Christian that doesn't go around preaching and demonstrating the gospel is not, by definition, a Christian, quote-unquote, at all. Look at Mark 16. 15, he told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the good news to who? Everyone. Say everyone. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes. So who's the subject now? You're going to take this message and you're going to give it away to, any, to whosoever, Greek, Gentile, Jew, doesn't matter, man, woman, white, black, red, with polka dots, doesn't matter. Go preach it to everyone. And whoever believes will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And these miraculous signs will accompany those who what? Say believe. So he's not talking about these signs will follow you apostles. No, go take this message to whosoever, and whosoever grabs a hold of it, these signs will follow them. They'll cast out demons in my name. Hallelujah. They'll speak in new languages. They'll be able to handle the snakes with safety. They drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They'll be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. These are signs following those that are accepting the message that the apostles are going around teaching. What does that tell you? Jesus never envisioned a Christian who did not preach and demonstrate the gospel. Are y'all with me? Write this down. The only Christian that Jesus anoints with the Holy Ghost is one who is a witness. The only Christian who Jesus anoints with the Holy Ghost is one who is a witness. 
Look at Acts 1.8. You will receive power. Say power. You know, that word in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. Say dynamite. You ever know that? That there's a lot of Christians. They believe. They confess. They say that little hokey-dokey prayer, which the prayer is great. Hallelujah. But there's no dynamite behind them. There's no power behind them. They're just like dead all the time. You know who I'm talking about? The Christians. I heard Dr. Rodney say, he was like, most Christians, they look like they've been baptized in pickle juice, vinegar. He was like, you know, there's certain Christians that if I got a phone call from someone that said, I'm standing on a bridge about to jump off, he's like, I know lots of Christians that I would not send to that person. Why? Because they would take one look at them and say, there's no hope, and jump off the bridge. Are you with me? They've got no power. They've got no dunamis. They've got no dynamite about them. Why? He said, you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And then what? You'll be my witnesses. Say witnesses. Why do most Christians walk around like they're baptized in pickle juice? Because God only anoints the witness. If there's no witness, there's no power. There's no dynamite. There's no dunamis. There's no dynamite. Hallelujah. So one sure way you can say, I want the power of the Holy Ghost. Who wants the power? Come on. Who wants the power of the Holy Ghost? What you need to do is become a strong witness for the Lord. And guess what? Power. Power. You'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Hallelujah. Here's another fact about preach the gospel. God's blueprint for church church growth and revival is every Christian preaching the gospel. God's blueprint. Say his blueprint. God's blueprint for church growth is not five songs with the click track. Oh, we got to play the newest, hottest thing that's on Christian radio, and we need to bring in the Australian worship leader who's already got two record deals. That's not God's blueprint for church growth. God's blueprint for church growth is every believer that belongs to that church preaching the gospel to everyone. That's his blueprint for revival. Hallelujah. You get this in Acts 8. Turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, 1 through 8. It says, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere, destroying the church, and he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Look at verse 4. But the believers who were scattered... Preach the good news about Jesus wherever they went. These believers are being scattered. The church is being persecuted in Jerusalem, and it's like the devil tries to splat the church, right? I'm going to shut it up. I'm going to shut it down. He slaps his little hand, and the believers are scattered. But here's the thing. These believers, not just the apostles, these believers were going around preaching the gospel, healing the sick, raising the dead, curing the leopard, Come on, laying their hands on the sick and they're recovering. And it says they preached the gospel everywhere that they went. 
Say everywhere. Look down at verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. Actually, look at verse 4 and 5 again. It says, the believers, say the believers, they were scattered and they began to preach the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example. Philip, here's an interesting fact for you. Philip is the only known, like if anybody ever teaches about the fivefold, Philip is the only mention of an evangelist in the entire Bible. Do you know that? But you know what's interesting about Philip? Does it actually say that he was the only evangelist? No, it says the believers, say the believers, began preaching the gospel everywhere that they went. Philip, for example, what does that tell you? Philip was actually just one of the multitude that were doing this. Come on, somebody, say everywhere. Now skip down to verse 26 here. What did it look like to be a believer in the New Testament? And as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Say go. The spirit of the Lord telling him to go. And where did he go? What did he do? He went. And what did he do? He preached the gospel. Look at verse 40. It says, meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north in the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there. And in every town, say every town. Along the way until he came to Caesarea. So what's my kind of point in telling you that? Philip is an example of what the New Testament believer looked like. No matter where he went, what did he do? He went into a city, he preached the gospel. He went into another city, he preached the gospel. He went into another city, he preached the gospel. He went to the county road, he preached the gospel. He found people, he found crowds, he found where people were gathering, and he preached the gospel. You know what's happening simultaneously as Philip was doing that? Other believers that had been scattered were going village to village, city to city, preaching the gospel about Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. And what happened is the church literally began to explode where we are still eating from the harvest 2,000 years later of the New Testament church. That the Christians began to grow so vast that they literally overtook the Roman Empire, the greatest, most vast empire in human history at that time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's blueprint for church growth, say this, God's blueprint for church growth and revival is every Christian, say every Christian, turn to your neighbor, say wake up, now say every Christian, say every Christian, preaching the gospel, hallelujah. I'm going to show you what every believer's role is in a church, and then I'm going to wrap this up here. Some of y'all are saying amen, about time. It's all right, even if you do think that. I love you anyways. And I'll keep preaching this till it catches fire in you. This is every, you want to know what your role is? So, again, I told you every Christian needs to get saved. They need to get free. They need to get committed. Now, what's your role? Look at this. In Luke chapter 14, hearing this, this is a parable of the great feast. A man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with a story. He said, A man prepared a great feast, and he sent out many invitations. 
When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants, say his servants, to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married so I can't come. Right? So they're going out inviting people and everyone's giving them an excuses. Who's ever done that? Who's ever invited somebody to revival, invited someone to church? They got an excuse. So what happens? Most Christians shut down and then they're like, well, I tried. Amen. Here's the checklist. No. The servants returned and told his masters what they had said and his master was furious and said, go quickly. Say quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servants had done this, he reported, look at this, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Hallelujah. For none of those I first invited will even get the smallest taste of, uh, uh, in my banquet. What's the Christian's role in the church? You need to get committed to the local church. And what do you do? You go out and you bring people in. Hallelujah. Well, Brother John, I went to my workplace and nobody wanted to come. Great. Now go to another street. Go to another block. Go to another lane. Amen. Go to another little section of the city. Reach out further and further until what? Until the house is full. And guess what happens when the house is full? The walls come down and we get more room. And then what do we do? We go out and gather the harvest and bring them in again and again and again, unrelentlessly until the house is full. Hallelujah. You know, when we send out texts like that, who gets the church texts? Come to service tonight and bring someone with you. I guarantee you most people just read over that. But it's, they're not actively making time that I'm going to do everything that I can to get people saved, to bring in the harvest to the house of God. Every believer... Write this down. Every believer is to do the work of the ministry. One simple verse here, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. He himself gave some to be apostles. I'll go ahead and say this too. You know, some of you are like, John, you know, can't we just hurry it up and be done? I got some friends from Nacogdoches visiting, visiting, all right? I'm not sending them home disappointed. We have people literally that drive, where do they drive from? Dallas every week to come, is it Dallas? Caney, how far is that? Three hours away to come be at church every single Sunday. Hallelujah. You think that I'm just going to give some little half-baked 35-minute talk and say, all right, have another three-hour drive back to your place. You know, there's no way. You know, God will fill this place with hungry people, and if there's not hungry people, guess what? We'll just reach out, and they'll come in from the highways and the byways. So get hungry. Or get left behind. Hallelujah. And I love you. But some Christians need to hear that. Every believer is to do the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Right? This is the five-fold ministry. It says that God raised up the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. For what? For equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. 
Do you know what a pastor's job is according to the Bible? To raise up the saints. Say, who's the saint? Say, I'm the saint. For the work of the ministry. Our job is to not just preach little messages and get a butt to sit in here and check it off. It's to train you up to go out and preach the gospel. If we're not training people up to go preach the gospel, we're not doing our job. Hallelujah. So here's the natural question then. Very, you may have heard this and said, I see it. Say, I see it. I need to preach the gospel, but what do I preach? What do I preach? Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 3 through 4. Paul said, I pass on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins, as the scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. What message do I need to carry to my workplace? Christ died for you. He was buried. He was resurrected. Hallelujah. Are you with me? In fact, right now, I want our, our, our usher, can you hand out those packets that I had made for everybody? I'm going to hand them out to everybody in the room. Give them one. Hallelujah. You know, we're handing out a few things. Number one, everybody's getting this. This is a soul-winning script. This is three invitations to Friday night, and this is a church card, one of our church cards. We're handing this out to everyone. This is very simple. You can read this. What message do I preach? How do I take the gospel to the workforce? How do I take the gospel to my cul-de-sac, my street, my area, my friends, my family? You sit down. You, you approach even your own family. You need to have this conversation. Walk up to your family, and, and you can go through the soul winning script, and I'll basically give it to you right here. Here's the gospel, made very simple. You can tell them this. Has anyone ever told you that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? You may say, well, if I'm talking to my family member, I know that they've heard that. Then just say this. Has anyone told you today, are you guys listening back here? I want you to listen to this. Has anyone told you today that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? They may say, yes, I know that, or no, I don't know that. Ask this simple question. If you were to die today, are you 100% certain that you would enter into the kingdom of heaven? Listen to me, guys. Ask your parents this question. Oh, my, my mom, I know she's saved. She served the Lord. She's older than I am. Ask her, are you 100% certain? What would you do if you asked that question and your little old mama said, you know what, I'm not, I hope that I would be saved that's a problem. You ask that question, are you 100% certain that if you were to die that, and you stand before the Lord that you would be saved? And if they say yes, then you say, great. Why do you say yes? Well, because I pr I've had people tell me, well, because I pray. How many of you know praying doesn't get you to heaven? Well, because I try to be a good person. How many of you know being a good person doesn't get you to heaven? If they say yes, then you ask why. And there's only one answer. There's only one way. Because I put my faith and my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. If they say that, then you say, hallelujah. Here's your church card. I want you to come be a part of what God's doing. Number two, so if they give you any other answer, you share the gospel message with them, which is very simply what I went over with you at the beginning of the service. The 
Bible says that all have sinned. You've sinned, I've sinned, we've all sinned. The wages of sin is death. It means hell. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can I pray with you today to receive salvation? They may say no. Okay. They may say yes. And guess what? You just won somebody to the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Very simple. So what do I preach? This, this, the simple death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number two, what do I preach? Your testimony. Say my testimony. This is what Revelation 12, 11 says. He overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives to death, even unto death. What do I go around preaching? Number one, just tell people the blood of the lamb. Say the blood of the lamb. What does that mean? This is what Jesus has done for you, and then I'm going to tell you stories of how it's worked for me. Come on, someone. Say my testimony. Tell people of how God changed your life. Man, I used to be a drug addict, but then I got the Holy Ghost. And let me tell you how God's restored my family. He's restored my marriage, how he's lifted me out of this pit, how he's broken me out of addiction and bondage, how he saved my soul. You need to tell people what Jesus has done and what he's done for you specifically. You know, the Bible actually says that the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Say prophecy. What does that mean? What that means is when you give a testimony about Jesus, something happens where people begin to have faith. He did it for you. I believe he can do it for me. Let me tell you how God healed my body. All of a sudden, faith starts coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, because you're telling me about how you got healed, I think that God could touch me. He could heal me. Say your testimony. You need to understand this last point. Say, he's done. Hallelujah. Romans 1.16. Write this point down. The gospel is the power of God. The Bible says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it. What? It. What is it? The gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Greek. That's Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It doesn't say that God comes behind the gospel. It says the gospel is actually the release of God's power. Guys, that's why I'm telling you, get that simple message in you and memorize it, because something supernatural happens when you tell that simple message that I just went through. It's like, that just seems so dumb, right? If I were to go talk to somebody, I don't even know what I would say. You know, it's like you're trying to trick them or get them to like you. No, just simply release the gospel message. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. What does that mean? If you go into a situation and you bring that message and you proclaim that message out of your mouth, the power of God will begin to go to work in that situation. Hallelujah. Touching people. How many will say this? I want you to make this commitment. If you don't mean it, don't say it. But is there anybody in this room that would be willing to say this? I'm making a commitment tonight. I will not let my head hit the pillow until I've told at least one person about Jesus every single day. Raise your hand if that's you. That you'll say tonight after hearing this message, 
I will not let my head hit the pillow until I've told about at least one person about Jesus every single day. If, that, if you're willing to make that commitment, come on, lift your hand. Anybody else in the room? Hallelujah. Well, several not lifted. That's okay. I don't want to condemn you into it, but I do want you to question what I, what I just preached. Is, can anything that I preach be refuted? No, say no. We just went through the scripture. Have a really long conversation with the Lord and say, Lord, have I surrendered my life to you? Because I know that that costs something. That costs you your pride. That costs you your dignity. That costs you your time. But it's just simple. You go through Walmart every day. You go through places out to eat every day. All you do is make a simple commitment. I will not let my head hit the pillow until I've told one person about Jesus every single day. If you lifted your hand, I want you to stand to your feet right now, and I'm going to pray for you. Come on, have you lifted your hand? You're making that commitment tonight. Lift your hands to heaven. Come on, lift your hands to heaven, and I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you. In the name of Jesus, anoint them with the power of the Holy Ghost, Lord. Let your spirit come on them. Do a work in them. Let signs, wonders, and miracles follow them in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would be bold witnesses for you in Jesus' name. Father, that we would bring the gospel to this county, to this region, to this area, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Let your anointing come on them in Jesus' name. Right now. Right now, Lord. Come on, just receive it. Come on, anybody else in the room, I want you to just lift up your voice and just begin to pray for a moment. Come on, lift your voice, lift your hands. Romba bara babari shiti karababara shiti karoba bara tete. Hallelujah. Just another second. Come on, lift your voice. Romba babari shita ramamara bari ki shiti. Holy Ghost, come. Fill them, Lord. Fill them, Lord. Fill them, Lord, with power from heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ. Mark them, Lord. Let them never be the same. Touch them, Lord. Touch them. Give them the anointing to reach their family with the gospel in Jesus' name. To break off that spirit off of their family, that their, their parents would be saved. Their spouses would be saved. Their kids would be saved and impacted and touched through the, by the message of the gospel through their lives. Lord, their workplace would be shifted and changed, that the harvest would come in. Send them into the field, Lord. You told us pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send harvesters into the field. Send them now, tonight, in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for a fresh grace to come on them now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Fresh fire to be a witness for you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, I release the word. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. 
Praise God. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.